You remember last week that we were saying repeatedly, actually, that there really is a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's active and, and living within us. Well, he didn't really go away. He's just covered up for lighting purposes for vacation Bible school. Not asleep. He, he's not inhibited by that. Just, just remember that. It is going to be a little darker. It is already a little darker in here. And, and actually, some of you who sit on this side of the sanctuary know that we have some lighting issues up in the old ceiling. Sometimes when the heat gets to a certain degree, the, the lights will go off. And we just want you to know that everything that's up in the ceiling is like 30 years old. And it's expensive to not only replace but upgrade that. We, we have a lift that goes extra high that we have for a month, and we're working on that. By the end of the summer, it's going to be all new and beautiful. So just be patient, especially over there in case you've wondered what's going on during the service at times. Speaking of lighting, I was mentioning this to the first hour. Nathan Flores is our tech director, and he came with us, um, joined us last September. So this is his first Vacation Bible School baptism this, this year. He has been working day and night, literally day and night, to get ready. You see some of his work here. When we hired him, one of the things we were really impressed with was his desire to make his ministry and the team around him really a spiritual ministry. But also we asked him, well, well what's your passion? And he said, lighting. <laughs> I didn't even know you could have a passion for lighting. <laughs> but we're just seeing what he's capable of here, and we just want to say, Nathan, again, we love you, and we support you, and we love what you're doing, so keep it up. <laughs> this, morning, this morning, we're in the book of Acts once again, but we, we're shifting now into a new sub-series, our final section of the book of Acts, we're shifting from trailblazing over many horizons where we've been the last couple of months, planting churches, making disciples. We shift from several decades of that in the life and the ministry of Paul to the beginning now of his final journey that is leading him to the end of his life. So from now on in the book of Acts, it's really all about crossing the finishing line of life and it's all about finishing well. Regardless of your age, regardless of your stage in life, whether you're navigating your final years or whether you are near to or new to adulthood, considering what life is going to bring you, what the future holds, or maybe like me and like so many of us, we're kind of in those in-between years in the, in the midst of it, what happens with Paul, how he responds and what he has to say about it, all make for a powerful word to each one of us, each one of you in the coming weeks. What will you be able to say? What do you want to be able to say as you yourself get close to that finish line? And you may be really young, but you know, it could happen tomorrow. Remember last week, Paul is busy in the city of Ephesus. He's enjoying this just remarkable ministry over the course of several years, Jesus is really turning the city upside down, resulting in this almost riot in protest against Paul and his company, which is then thankfully diffused. The crowd is dispersed by the civil authorities. It's really quite an ending to that story. We pick up the story there now, chapter 20 of Acts, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. It says this, after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples 
that is in Ephesus, and after encouraging them and saying farewell, he left for Macedonia. That is, he's going to head west back over to Greece. He'd been planning to do this all along, visit the congregations in Greece that he'd established, and then move on, return home to Israel, Jerusalem. Let's trace out Paul's movements in this morning's chapter with our animated map. Let's just draw our attention to the screen. Remember, last week, He's in Ephesus, western coast of modern-day Turkey, decides to go over to Macedonia. Two ways to get there, either by sea directly or there's a land route that he may have taken through Troas near ancient Troy and then over to Macedonia, Philippi. Then he decides, okay, I'll visit Thessalonica, Berea, all the fellowships heading down to Athens, down to Corinth. He winters there. He spends three months there's a threat on his life. Rather than sailing across back over to Ephesus, he decides to go north again. The team splits up. Team goes ahead of him to Troas. He then joins the team, but he decides he's going to walk to Assos. Boy, that's a beautiful place on earth if you've never been there. The team decides to take a ship around, picks him up at Assos, and then they island hop down the western coast past Ephesus, and they wind up at Miletus. Miletus, that's where the story takes place this morning. Jumping ahead to verse 16, it says, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. That is the, 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 the Roman province surrounding Ephesus that became the name of the continent in modern times. He was eager to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So, so he's on a tight schedule. It's springtime by the end of May, early June. He wants to be back in Jerusalem. He didn't want to get all tied up in Ephesus, so he goes to Miletus, and he's waiting there. Miletus. Greek philosophy had its beginnings in Miletus, not in Greece proper, but on the western coast of what is now Turkey, with the pre-Socratic philosopher Thales in the 6th century B.C. That's about the time that the Jews are being taken into captivity out of Jerusalem into Babylon 600 years before Jesus was walking around. Let's see a picture from Miletus. This is a picture of the remains of the Roman theater there, just a tremendous place next to the ancient harbor. In ancient times, this city was surrounded on three sides by water. In 2,000 years, that water has receded. The whole valley has silted up. Now it's this fertile plain. Another picture, another shot of the theater. And the ancient beach where the rest of this chapter takes place is perhaps just behind where the photographer is standing. So let's get back to the story. It says, from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent a message to Ephesus asking the elders, that is, of the church at Ephesus, to meet him. That's about 50 miles by land. They would take two, two and a half days to walk it. They probably got in a ship and just sailed down the coast and met him. And what we get now is a farewell speech. And there are several parts to it. But in it, Paul reflects on what his life has really been all about with them, with the Ephesian Christians. How he sees himself in his life how he sees his purpose, his God, and what the future holds, not just for him, but for them as well. And this is what it says. When they came to him, he said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. You know, if you really want to minister to people, have a lasting impact in their life, you've got to live with them. You've got to be there. You can't just fly in, fly out, drive in, drive out. 
Short-term mission trips are great. They do have a lasting impact, but to really move in and be with people, that's what really changes the world. He said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, he's a Jew. Much of the church is Jewish. It's the, it's the unbelieving Jewish group in Ephesus that's been causing problems. But he's just saying, you know, I stuck with it. I stuck with you. I didn't run off. It wasn't a cakewalk. You saw how I was with you and with others, how I handled everything. I mean, you know me. My life's an open book. He says this. He says, I did not shrink from doing anything helpful proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly. Remember in the synagogue, in the, in the School of Tyrannus, this public hall that they had available in an open settings. And then he says, and from house to house, I visited you personally and privately. As I testified to both Jews and Greeks, remember this movement's really for anybody, about number one, repentance towards God, that is change your thinking about God, turn your life around, and number two, faith towards the Lord Jesus. Just put your faith and trust in him and what he's done for you and just make him your own as he has made you his own. And now listen to this. He says, now as a captive to the spirit. That's interesting. Now as a captive to the spirit. Watch for how prominent the Holy Spirit is as he talks about the future and don't miss this self-reference as being captive to the Spirit. Paul refers to himself in his letters often as a bonded servant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus. He even writes to the Corinthian Christians at one point, he says, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, which is how he sees himself. He sees all believers like that. And yet we of all people are the most free slaves to Jesus. He says this, he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit, there's the Spirit again, testifies to me in every city, that is, as I've been passing through cities on my way to you, that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. Imprisonment and persecutions. Listen, he's seen them before. But this is now going to become the dominant theme of this final chapter of his life. Last week, we were saying, boy, chapter 19, full of the Holy Spirit, deeds of power, some of them really odd, kind of weird, out of the ordinary. Nevertheless, they were attested to and were having quite an effect on the whole city of Ephesus. And we heard phrases like this last week, phrases like people heard the word of the Lord, the sick were healed, Evil spirits came out of the oppressed. The name of the Lord was praised. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That was all in chapter 19. Now in chapter 20, although we see this ongoing reference to the Holy Spirit, there are no deeds of power, no healings, no exorcisms, no conversions, no victories per se. What we get instead are signals of this impending imprisonment, persecution, struggle, and suffering. 
So how does this week, with all of that, fit in with last week? Actually, the two chapters fit together perfectly because this is what following Jesus looks like. Displays of power, supernatural revelation, the name of the word and the name and the word of Jesus advancing, but not without blowback, not without persecution, not without difficulties, and even at times apparent defeat. It's not an either or, it's a both and. This is the way of Jesus and of those who follow in his footsteps. Beware of people, beware of preachers, beware of churches which promote and try to sell you on something different. Some kind of triumphalist Christianity that is all glory, all victory, name it and claim it, without any problems to speak of. And if there are problems, if there is some pain in your life, if there are setbacks that you're experiencing, well, it's all your fault because you didn't have enough faith or God is not in the unhappy things in life. Only good things happen to God's chosen and beloved. Don't believe that garbage. That's what it is. That is not the message of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the life of Jesus. That's not life, period. And it's actually the cross of Jesus which illustrates a key dimension in the message and way and life of Jesus. There is agony and anguish there. Dark powers seem like they're just out of control, no stopping them, successfully snuffing out the light. And yet in the crucifixion of Jesus, himself, those very powers are themselves defeated once and for all. And that's confirmed three days later in the resurrection from the dead. In the death of Jesus, the power of sin and death themselves are put to death. That is, that is power. Thank you for that. Let's hear a little bit more. There is power and glory in Christianity, but more often than not, it is power and glory in the midst of pain and suffering. And God intends that at times. He uses that. Nothing is lost. No pain is wasted with God. He redeems it, uses it for his power and glory. And the way of Jesus is, yes, filled with the Holy Spirit and deeds of power, but only through obedient self-emptying the denial of self, and as we said in the past, this is not denying who you are, it's just taking that selfish, self-centered, self-serving, self-asserting self and getting it out of the center of your life, putting it off to the side and putting Jesus Christ there. Listen to what Paul says, he says, but I do not count my life of any value to myself. In other words, it's not about me. Here's the value. He says, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, and here it is, this is the ministry, to testify to the good news of God's grace. To testify to the good news of God's grace. That's how he sees his life. That's the center, that is the navigation system that guides him, everything else is organized and orbits around that and put in its proper place. 
Let me ask you a question. How do you see your life this morning? How do you see your God? How do you see your life together with your God? You should have heard some of our youth last Wednesday night sharing about how they're seeing their own lives together with God. How God met them and spoke to them and worked in and through them during their Alabama mission trip. We were together for two hours over the event center, which was full. Almost 200 of us. And almost all of the 43 students and six adults who went on the trip were there. And the last hour, there were 10 or 12 youth up on the stage just answering questions, sharing. And the final question that was asked of them was this. What did you bring back with you for Glen Kirk? What did you bring back with you for Glen Kirk? And the answers that they gave were about what they experienced and what they want to see here. I took notes. <laughs> Here's the first one. They led off with this, we want true community, not fake community, not pretend. Openness about life, sharing life together in a way that, as this young man put it, brings people up, and I would add, into maturity, that, that builds you up, as Peter says, in the faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That was the first thing. Second thing, they said confidence to show love for God more openly. Actually, that's my way of, I think that was the second or third thing this young woman said. She said, listen, if you love Jesus, start screaming it. Shout it out. And you know, this is not a should. You should be more exuberant and vocal. It's, listen, if, if the Lord's really doing something in your life, no one's going to be able to shut you up. I think the reason many of us are so quiet and calm is because we are not having fresh experiences with the Holy Spirit. I remember in the church where I grew up, just one of our sister churches down in Santa Ana, very much like Glen Kirk. Big church. Uh, in, in the years when I was on the staff there, I grew up there, was on the staff just for a period of time. Big choir, still big choirs, big, big organ, bigger than this one. And just letting out all the stops in this worship service. That morning we had one of our African mission partners visiting us. That, that church had a big, big commitment to global mission. And he was with the elder sitting in the pew. An elder was sort of escorting him around that day. And during the singing, um, you know, the congregational singing, this African leaned over and he said, these people sing with their lips, but not with their hearts. I wonder how we do on that index of evaluation. Okay, so the next thing was this. Actually, she didn't say this, but this is how I put it. Loosen up. I mean, what this young woman said was, we want us to see more hugging. Look out. <laughs> I mean, just a little too controlled, a little too stiff. The next thing was, open up exclusive groups and cliques, and they appeal to what they observe. Listen, the youth know what's going on here. They just observe, service over, everybody goes to their friends. 
I mean, when, when this service is done, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out there and look for the new person or the one you don't know and welcome them? Or do you just kind of, okay, my goal is to just connect with my friends. That's the purpose of coming to church, connect with my friends that I've had forever. I can't tell you how many times I stand out there and I'm talking to somebody, maybe one of you, and I'm just seeing this obviously new person, new family, standing around and no one's paying attention to them. And I'm trapped. Okay, last thing. Share testimonies of what God is doing. And that, that has to do with kind of loosening up and shouting out your love of God. I mean, they were sharing and they want to hear about what's real and what's fresh and what God's been up to lately in your life. Don't care about what happened 10 years ago. Sure, there's a time for that. I want to know what happened yesterday. What's he saying to you right now? Glenn Kirk, our youth had an encounter with God. And along with the Apostle Paul, they are calling us out. They don't want to play church. They want to be the church. They got a taste of that. They've had a taste of it here. They wouldn't be in Alabama if it weren't for here. Every church is where it is. Every church can be, just to use a phrase we use, even greater than it already is. And they want more. I want more. Don't you want more? And what's really interesting is how what our youth shared on Wednesday night lines up so well with what our elders have recently come to as some of our big picture what's that we want to be all about. And I'm going to have them right on the screen all together. Number one, cultivate warmth through intergenerational relationships. You should have seen that happening on Wednesday night. It was beautiful. Prioritize youth. Well, they wouldn't have gone to Alabama had we not been prioritizing youth here for a long time. But it also says, and young adults. We have a long way to go to prioritizing young adults in this church. That's a gap. But again, Alabama wouldn't have happened without you, your generous giving, and your prayers, and your love and support. The gathering place, talk about a place, a space that holds so much promise for so much of what we want, what the youth want to happen to take place. Next one, establish a mentorship culture. You know a big advantage we have? We have a lot of seasoned, experienced adults in this congregation. Mentoring was happening in Alabama, and now our youth are coming back, and they're trying to mentor us a little bit. Are you open to that? How about this? Move from crowd to disciple. That is from bystanders standing around, God bless you, to fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's been a decades-long commitment here. Let's get even more serious about it. I mean, that's a way to describe what was happening in Alabama. I mean, for a lot of youth, they crossed a threshold, no going back. That was a big grow-up experience. Another one, get to know our neighbors and, and, our, and their needs. Actually, it's immediate neighbors. That's what they were doing in Birmingham. How well do we know the people who live in that apartment complex just south of us? How well do we know the people in the trailer park? Not to mention just the subdivisions, just immediately around us. Have we walked those neighborhoods? And then invest in local mission. 
get serious and organized and focused about it and throw ourselves into it even more than we already have. Let's get some new ventures going. Does Glendora know that Glenkirk Church loves it? I mean, tangibly. Does Azusa and San Dimas and Laverne, do they know that this church loves those communities? Final one, and this is all about true community, know and be known. Let's really know each other more deeply than we ever have before. Do you want this? I mean, we're in one of those moments where we have an opportunity. And in a way, we're kind of on the brink of something if we want to be on the brink of something. Do we cross that threshold into this new adventure? Or do we back off and say, okay, that's enough. Let's just kind of go back into the old, comfortable place. I think oftentimes God says to us, I'm laying out what you can have, and now the decision is yours. Okay, so Paul is speaking to these elders of the church at Ephesus, and they're on the brink of something as well. Listen to this. He says, and now I know that none of you I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. I had a, had a guy walk out of the sanctuary first hour. This was his last Sunday here after 20 years in tears. I know there's a family here, the De La Penas. This is their last Sunday here. What a perfect passage as a farewell. Life's full of farewells. This is Paul's last chance, so he's going to give it to him. He says, therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Hey, there's a cost to this, this way of Jesus, throwing yourself in with him. And he's just saying, I didn't mislead you about it. I laid it out in all of its riches, all of its cost and consequences, all of its promise, You knew what you were signing up for. It's worth the price, but don't blame me. Don't claim that I was misrepresenting things when things get tough, and they're going to get tough. You start following Jesus closely. It starts getting uncomfortable. He says, keep watch over yourselves, elders, and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. It's the basic job of an elder, shepherd the sheep that Jesus has purchased at great price. Lead the flock, look over the flock. He says this, I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Hey, don't turn inward, don't start building walls, but expect opposition and be ready for it. And then he says this, he says some, even from your own group will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them elsewhere. That can happen. Therefore, he says, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now, now, I commend you to God 
and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up. That's what one of the youth said that they want, able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. And here's an interesting piece. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I work with my own hands to support myself and my companions. He was a tent maker. He was self-supporting. Wasn't in it for the money. In all this, here's the lesson, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's where that saying comes from. You will not find Jesus saying that anywhere in the Gospels. Paul is quoting Jesus, but he's getting this from another source that he has of Jesus' sayings. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Then give. Let your life be marked by giving. Sacrificially. If there's no faith in it, if there's no risk in it, you don't need God. There's so much to believe in here to give towards. Let's keep it up. It finishes with this. It says, when he had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul. And they kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that they would not see him again. And then they brought him to the ship. And he sailed away to be continued. Regardless of your age and stage in life, whether you're navigating your final years or whether you're near to or new to adulthood, looking ahead, wondering what life is going to bring you, or if you're in the in-between years, how do you see your life? And how do you see your God? And how do you see your life together with God? How do we see our life together with God? We have been called out by our youth and by the Apostle Paul this morning. What will you be able to say? What do you want to be able to say as you get close to that finish line yourself?